Hello, welcome to Masters of Divinity. This is the final episode of Music Mayhem. Uh, as we... F Sorry. <laughs> this is the final episode of Music Mayhem. Uh, the Wheel of Mayhem decided for us to uh, uh, talk about an album. You know what? No, no. Hold Guys, I can't... <sighs> I'm just... I'm flustered right now. I'm, I'm JP. I'm here with Father Chuck. Hey, what's going on? Um, it, it, we're, we're, you know, okay, guys, aliens might be real. I'm just going to come out and say it right now on this podcast. We've speculated on this podcast before. We've, we've played with the conspiracy theories. We've joked around. We've, t we, we've, we've made fun of people. We've speculated. But now there's a Washington Post article about how the Democrats and the Republicans are united in trying to take the UFO phenomenon seriously. And uh, uh, UAPs, UAPs, get it right. That, that's 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 right. UAPs, not UFOs. <laughs> and uh, folks, we might not be alone in this universe, or it could just be the Russians. Which I mean, that doesn't make me feel any better. I have hard time believing that these are the product of other governments, because knowing knowing the like, unless it's like our own stuff that we're keeping quiet in the United States, like. Pretty much, we are the we're like sort of the main drivers in like military technology in the world. Yeah, yeah. And there was a book that was just put out recently that basically this guy who studies who studies like Chinese military stuff has said that like the threat that a lot of people have about China, like the consideration that China's like this massive military threat, is pretty much super inflated. So much time is spent apparently among the Chinese military, like the training that they, you know, oh, they, they train like 10 hours a day or whatever. Yeah, like half of that is just them sitting listening to propaganda. That's considered part of their training. And they don't do cross divisional training. It's like, anyway, the point is, you look at that and then you read about like what real, now like the stuff that we know about what was going on in Russia during the, during like the Soviet Union and during like the days of the Iron Curtain and like, how much of the threats were really just inflated and that it was kind of a it was kind of a you know what show behind the scenes that they really weren't you know it makes me think that they probably didn't develop this stuff mhm mm um i mean they had they, the they, they had a, a better space program than we let our folks let on to believe and not i mean and i doubt good enough that it defies physics yeah because that's what we're that's what we're dealing with here, um, dude. I just I think Occam's razor, the simplest the simplest solution is the right one, and it's some kind of extraterrestrial. Bro, first contact could be happening soon. It's possible. Where's Zephram Cochran? <laughs> uh, if if you if you're not up to speed on your UFO news, uh. A, a report on UFOs uh, to Congress is expected to be released later this month on government information on unidentified flying objects and aerial phenomena. Uh, it's real. Um, there's lots of declassified and released footage. 
um, and uh, the news outlets are taking it seriously. Uh, so I, I am inclined to also take it seriously. Look, man, it's you know what you know. Past is you know past is prologue, right? And like, what goes around comes around. We got you know, aliens are now back in the news. You know, uh, Benifer is a thing again. Oh God! Uh, I I see lots of Doc Martens. <laughs> you know, and to bring it full circle, punk rock. I was very excited. I was very excited. I couldn't really show it because my daughter was asleep in the video that we, the little you know pre-roll video that we've got of us picking from the Wheel of Mayhem. Yeah. So like I had to be quiet. Uh-huh. Um, I was very excited that Prime Candidate for a Burnout was chosen because <laughs> I have wanted you to listen to this because I've wanted your thoughts. That makes sense on this album. That makes sense. And uh, and I was prepared for you to be pleasantly surprised. Um, I was, I was surprised. Um. We'll just get into it. Uh, this week's album is Candidate, or Prime Candidate for a Burnout, right? That's that's how yep. that's supposed to be. Uh, by the band Blenderhead. I, I had a great time listening to this album. Um, as far as like Christian rock goes, you know, totally surpasses everything we listened to, in my opinion. We're kind of doing this. We we kind of do this like pretty last minute, and um, I listened to it about three times, but I listened to it like back to back. So I wish I had more time with it to kind of like soak in more stuff. I wanted to read up more on Billy Power. I started listening to his uh, podcast last night, and it was pretty cool. I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, we should have him on. I think that'd be cool. I think it'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Uh, he also ha- sort of mentioned offhandedly uh, uh, Death to the World on the episode, Oh, he did? On the episode of the podcast that I listened to. Yeah, they were just talking about the, the yes. scene. And I was like, that's another guy that we should probably get on the podcast. That'd be cool. The guy who started that. What? The guy who started the yeah, the, zine, I, the death of the world. Yeah, I have the whole I have the whole run, the original run in print in my office. Sick. It's pretty sweet. Um, I found it in a basement. But yeah, I didn't get to read as much as I wanted to. Um, but I just enjoyed the album, and I tried to do as much as I could. And I have some favorite songs, and I have some thoughts. And um. Let's. I'm going to treat it this way because you have more of history. I don't. I don't have a history at all with this. Like I just now learned about this. Uh, so like my okay. initial thoughts aren't going to be very interesting. I just want to talk about the album. Uh, so Chuck, why don't you tell me about just your history with this album and why you you think we should talk about it? Okay. So or why you put it on the wheel? I guess. I don't know. All right. So back in '95 ish, um, I mentioned in pre- our previous episodes talking about Christian rock. Um, I morphed pretty quickly from like the sort of like radio friendly rock of like DC talk and jars of clay and newsboys to some more underground type stuff. I'm gonna give a weird story, but like, so I had heard jars of clay's cover of Petra's rose colored stained glass windows on a compilation. And I was, and, and I thought, I thought about buying the compilation I was at the I was at Long's Christian Bookstore in Edgewater, Florida, which is no longer there, sad, which was sort of a mecca for Orlando Christians to hang out at. And I, um, I as I was walking around in the alternative rock section uh, there, I kept seeing this band called MXPX, and I thought their album cover art was really cool, but I didn't know anything about them. I had 
I had been frequenting an ice skating rink with my friends around this time. And so we had, and they would play like popular music that was on the radio. And so we had heard Green Day's Basket Case several times. And so I liked the sound of Green Day. I didn't know what to call it, but I liked their sound. So as I'm, uh, as I'm uh, looking around, I, I see that they have like, you know, the little audio station you put on the headphones and listen to it. So they're really pushing this Petra tribute album. And I had seen that Jars of Clay's cover is on this. So I wanted to listen to it. And then I noticed on the track list that MXPX was on there covering um, I Could Be Friends With You by Petra. So I was like, oh, I'll check. Let's see what this MXPX sounds like. Because they're, they're, like I said, their cover art was cool. And they, they sounded like Green Day because they're a pop punk band. And I didn't, again, I didn't know any of the stuff at the time. But I was like, okay, I immediately took the headphones off and I grabbed MXPX's on the cover and I bought it. Um, so my first MXPX album was a cover album. And um, which I didn't really I just bought it actually because I like the, the graphics and stuff. But it was, you know, but it was some songs I was familiar with. And they, they covered some Christian punk and stuff that was underground at the time. Things like that. Also a pretty great cover of a Keith Green song. Um, so I, I mentioned that because inside Tooth. So there, that was a Tooth and Nail release. The MXPX was on Tooth and Nail Records throughout the 90s. Um, I mentioned that because one of the great things that was inside of every Tooth and Nail release was this little like catalog of the other tooth and nail albums. And so they would have these little like descriptions of what all the different bands are and you could order them, you know, mail order or whatever, because there's such a small record label out of Seattle at the time. And among that, I remember reading biographies about the bands, uh, the blamed and Blenderhead, which were both described as hardcore punk acts. I knew that I was already threading kind of a, a, a borderline being into pop punk <laughs> with MXPX. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I never like really pulled the trigger on buying any of the hardcore punk. And plus, when I listened to some hardcore punk, it just it wasn't as melodic and I just wasn't into it. Yeah. Um, one of the punk bands that came out a little bit later, probably like 97 um, on Tooth and Nail was called um, 90 Pound Wuss. And they were a really like hardcore, you know, traditional do it yourself the singer can barely sing kind of punk band. And like, there was something about it that appealed to me, but I just could never see myself just like, Oh, I put this on, listen to it and not like, you know, feel like I was trying too hard or something. Yeah. Fast forward to when we we're in college and, uh, there was, um, what was that? What was that Christian bookstore that was up there in, uh, in like Palm Beach gardens? Do you remember? Uh, inspiration, inspiration house. house. Uh, I went there with Keelan once and I was amazed because they still had all of these nineties era tooth and nail albums still sealed. Like they hadn't sold since the nineties, they were just still around. And so I was picking up stuff that I had never listened to. Um, and you know, opening up and seeing those little catalogs and reminiscing and all this kind of stuff. Can I just take a, just a quick detour for a minute. Inspiration house. Um, what, a, a, a wonderful place for a young young Christian evangelical. <laughs> it was like Barnes and Noble for like Christian teens because they had like like every Christian book you can imagine that you were ever interested in, comic books, CDs, uh, yeah, books, was... all all kinds of stuff. Oh my gosh, just Dude, like Longs Long. Yeah, it was just it's very very similar to Longs in Orlando that I grew yeah. up with. Yeah, yeah. Um, co- there was a coffee shop inside the store. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it was, it was a total, I was saying, no, no, it's great. Cause it was such a, no, this is, I think this is an important thing to talk about because it's tangential to, to talking about Blunderhead is that yeah. this was a big part of this whole 
bizarre Christian subculture. And it was like this weird and like for in Orlando, like at the time, it was like our own little enclave. It was like the one place where like and it was such if you think about it, those kinds of places were a weird a weird sort of like realization of like what the nineties was all about. Right. Which is this idea of all these different people groups kind of hanging out in the same space and sort of just putting up with one another. Because like, if you were a Christian goth, if you're a Christian punk, if you were into like contemporary worship, if you were into just like Max Lucado books, if you were into like CS Lewis, like you could go to a place like inspiration house or long's Christian bookstore and like encounter one another. Yeah. And they also had the, the one I used to go to, I used to frequent, they had like a whole section walled off of just like Book of Revelation stuff. Like even oh, a yeah, kiosk yeah. with like every left behind ripoff movie <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> where you could like press mm-hmm. a button and watch a trailer for the movie. <laughs> yeah, dude. A lot of those. Yeah, dude. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. And of course, they had a section of all the T-shirts, which were like parodies of like popular T-shirts, you know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, it looks like the Reese's Peanut Butter logo, but it's like a crown, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but like. It's a so virgin anyway, megastore I, uh, for Christians. Yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> the size of a virgin megastore, of course, but yeah. 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 So, um, and so, which which we've talked about this before, but I think, like, those experiences wound up giving me a taste of, like, appreciating, like, independent bookstores and music stores. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. More than, like, these big box things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but yeah, so... Um, so anyway, yeah, we're in college and I'm picking up some older, you know, stuff. Um, I don't remember if I think Blenderhead was on the show, but I just, again, I didn't pick it up cause I was just like, I, I, you know, I was, I was more affected, you know, at that time, like I was into more like Franz Ferdinand kind of stuff. And so I was like picking up like Starflyer 59's old albums cause they're Starflyer is a really great band as well. Christian band. They're a shoegaze band. Um, and, um, you know, but then anyway, Fast forward to me living here in Hawaii this past year, and I'm doing some research and looking at old tooth and nail stuff, and I see Blenderhead, and I'm like, you know what? This thing, this 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 band has sort of been in the background of my mind ever since I was a teenager, like in my early teens. So I was like, I, you know what? I want to check them out. Maybe they're good, you know? Like they're, you know, I was I was feeling angsty. I was like, I'm looking for something that's sort of like. I want to hear punk that that I want to hear some punk, some Christian punk that is willing to take swipes at the politics as well as the church itself. And, you know, you get elements of it in some of MXPX's stuff, but it never goes hard enough. You know, I think about how like Five Iron Frenzy used to piss off my youth pastor because of how political they got. And so it's like there's got to be there's got to be something in the Christian punk world that's, you know, that hasn't been co-opted by this machine and being like this far right thing. Like there's got to be something. Anyway, so I put on Blenderhead and dude. I was like, where has the like, why, why have I just now started listening to this album? <laughs> um, and I mean, from the get go, right? Like, I love that the, just, I love the album opens up with like these dudes in a radio station listening to one of their like yeah. early EP releases and being sort of surprised at their sound. And then it cuts into, um, what's the first song? It's, um, Escape Reason. Escape Reason, which just hits hard. Yeah. Um, and like, I was just like, yes, this is punk rock. And it just, it felt right at the time. And then, uh, so I was listening to it for a couple of weeks and they started paying attention to the lyrics. And there's a couple of songs we'll talk about, but like, I remember really being struck by a couple of moments in the album. Where I was like, wow, I can't believe that a punk band on a Christian label in 1994 was allowed to say some of the stuff they were saying. Oh yeah. Um, 
it sort of reminded me the way that because by the by the by the early 2000s tooth and nail had really just become like a bunch of emo bands and like really like you know mainstream this reminded me that Tooth and Nail was like a really scrappy record company, and like if you read Billy Powers' like interviews and stuff that you can find the links of on uh, on on the Wikipedia page for Blenderhead, you find out that there was like all like five or six of the bands that were on Tooth and Nail, they were working Tooth and Nail, like that's what they were doing on the side, and so it definitely had this very very indie underground feel to it that like because uh bill power who's the bassist and one of the vocalists for uh, blenderhead the major creative uh person behind it he did like he did like what a and r or whatever like um and like marketing and stuff for tooth and nail like he put together that catalog that would that was inside all the cds like that's just what he did on the side um and he was really involved with this it's just sort of you know very like family affair um, with all these bands and find out they all hung out together and stuff, which I thought was really cool. Very kind of classic. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, so I actually, you know, like, so this, so the, the short of it is that this album has sort of been in the background of my life since I was probably 13, but it never, I never actually listened to it until this past year. Um, and so when I first heard it, I was like, this feels like something we should talk about because I think when, you know, I was like, I wanted to talk about like Jesus Freak and other Christian albums because there's a sentimental value to them and they were sort of big and commercial. It's like, but I, I, when we, we've talked about Christian punk in the past, but we've tended to steer closer to like the Reliant K MXPX type sound. It's like we never really got into like the true gutter punk hardcore type yeah. elements of it that I knew were there. And then I also thought, I have to let JP hear this because like this just feels like something JP would just get really into. And so it came up during my uh, it came up during like random play on my on my uh, iTunes the other day. And I was like, yeah, this is going on the wheel. I just I just want to just because I feel like it would be fun to talk about. So, yeah, cool. here we are. Well, then let's let's get right into it. Um, OK, so the first track on this album, which is uh, a nice breeze of an album, only 12 tracks. Not not super long. Uh, I mean, it, I guess it's pretty common for punk, right, to be to not really exceed like forty minutes and change, maybe. Uh, one thing that also yeah, kind of I will say, I will yeah. say though, MX, all of MXPX's albums are like twenty something tracks long, and they're but they're only like thirty minutes long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the same for like the Ramones and stuff. Um, but uh, one other thing that kind of stuck out to me is that. Um, I had a hard time looking for the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, these songs. I had to go to a, uh, I, I believe it was a GeoCities uh, website. Oh wow! Um, that had all of the lyrics. Oh and so I just wow. copied them down, and uh, that's how I followed along the lyrics of the songs. Um, See, I wish I had done that. I didn't. I've been trying to listen to some of them while driving. Oh really? At, uh, yeah. Um, there's a couple songs like there's some lyrics that stand out, but. Um, but yeah, so well, I've got them all here, baby. All right. Yeah, dude. Print it out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's talk about Escape Reason. You said it opens. Um, uh, the way it opens is really cool. I, I like that kind of uh, production where they where it's like two dudes on the radio who had like just played, I guess, a Blunderhead song. Yeah, and uh, they're like, "Well, that that was a that was a song." 
And I love that the lyric that they scream at the end of that song at the opening track, which I want to find that song. It's because not on the album is smile yeah. like an idiot. You're dead. <laughs> well, it's, it's great because this is basically this is the first thing you hear in this entire album, this Christian album. Uh, and like that's that's like your, your thesis statement where yeah. like just two very bewildered DJs like what? Um, and then you, you get into the, to the song, which is um, I mean, that's that's kind of my notes. Where I'm just like, what? <laughs> because when I'm reading along to the lyrics uh, and listening to the song, it's it's so it was hard for me to like adjust i guess it was kind of jarring a little bit i wasn't really expecting uh what what was gonna happen i was i was i was expecting like an mxpx kind of sound mm-hmm. i wasn't mm-hmm. expecting hardcore because i actually don't love hardcore i went to a hardcore show once when i was a teenager and i was like i'm never never doing that again uh, <laughs> but you know as you're a nirvana fan yeah i know i know i know but there's a there's a certain kind of sound that i was just never a really big fan of but like as I got older and started listening to more punk, I started to appreciate it more. So when I was young, I was it's just not not for me, not my thing. I mean, this was the stuff that was always blaring at like the Badlands skate park. Yeah. Uh, that uh, sorry, I got to pour one out for the Badlands. Um, you know, so like I grew up with this. Set. This is the back. This was like the soundtrack a good chunk of my life. Right. This kind of this like the hardcore sound. Yeah, it just it it wasn't my thing when I was young. Uh, and so for me to kind of sit down with an album like this and actually take it in and read along to the lyrics is a very new experience for me. And uh, You and me at 13. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like you're me at 13. Pretty much. Pretty much. Because like I said, when I was at that age, I, I listened to Top 40. <laughs> I listened to Kiss FM. Here's here's a chorus to this, this song. Uh, if you're only worth what you wish you could be. Uh, the decision to refuse your life doesn't allow you to see. You are westernized, so you are civilized. Civilized is in quotation marks, by the way. Um, you never thought that pulp pop that popular culture could bring you down. You got what you prayed for, the ever-failing wisdom of self. So are you happy with what you have found? Mm. Damn, dude. So, like, this is great because it's... It's very much taking like the whole like punk attitude. It ha- has not abandoned the attitude, which is what right. I like. Right? We have not abandoned the punk attitude. We are not trying to make it more pal more palatable. Uh, this is punk. Make no mm-hmm. mistake. Uh, and w- we can make Christianity punk, and I think they succeed. Well, it you brought up debt to the world. Yes. Um, for those who don't know what Death to the World is, Death to the World is a z- zine, zine, how do we pronounce this word? Zine. Zine, okay. Um, it was a zine, a punk zine, like it's printed on like a copy machine with like a staple setting. Like it's, it, it, it is, yeah. it is low production value. But it, and it, I, 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 like I said, I found it in a basement at my seminary and I had to acquire, like I had to have it. And I, you know, because it was the most weird, obscure, narrow thing I've ever seen in my life. It's a punk zine made by Russian Orthodox Christians. That's like, it uses the, it uses the punk aesthetic as a way to sort of talk about Russian monasticism yeah and but it points out that they're in the first issue that there's a connection between punk and what and the sort of rejection of the world that's a big part 
of like the Russian Orthodox spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and, and I remember several years ago, like back when, back in, like back when we were in college, I remember reading, there was a, there was this very obscure, short lived, uh, Christian surfing skating magazine. I don't remember the name of it, but one of their first articles was like, is Christianity the last subculture? And it, it was a very interesting article because it talked about how, how the, the idea of Christianity you know, and especially certain segments of Christianity, really trying to reject what's mainstream, yeah, and do their own thing, um, like what the power is there, and of course now that has sort of disappeared, like entirely. Um, but yeah, so like this idea of like, you know, because I was thinking about this this morning. I was out surfing, and I was thinking about punk and and what we're going to talk about today. And I realized that you know, when it, at the end of the day, punk is punk is lament. That's that's what it is. It's lamentations. It's I mean, going through these songs like, yeah, I would definitely say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like punk is punk is is, you know, I mean, going back to like the Sex Pistols and, and, and the Clash and stuff. I mean, it's it's a lament about the hypocrisy, the vapidity of society. And if you think about it, like that's the kind of stuff that like St. Paul writes about in Corinthians. Right. Um, you know, so there is a connection, there is a, there is a spiritual connection between like what punks see and what Christians see. And so the idea that you would have to create sort of a, 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 a music that apes the punk sound, but like, it's trying to be like happy, clappy Christian, which is a lot of that existed. Right. Um, instead of leaning into the proper punk thing and finding where that, like where the, where the Venn diagram overlaps. And I think like bands like the Crucified, um, which is a precursor, a punk, uh, which is an early Christian punk band, like the Crucified, Altar Boys, and then you've got especially like Blenderhead, um, bands like them that I think really, really get it. Right. And like you said, it's punk. It's not like oh, it's Christian punk. No, it's punk. Like yeah. <laughs> and and to that I think very successful. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if if. <laughs> this is one of those things where I would say, you know, you told me about your school, how that, how it was super fundamentalist. They were like, even Christian rock is bad. You know, I think this would be a, an example of like, they're probably right. Because if you're trying to keep people out of rock, if you're trying to keep people away from punk, I, I, I would say I, I would, tr I would keep them away from this album because the stuff like <laughs> this, the, the beautiful thing about punk is that all punk is like gateway punk. It will just lead to more punk. And like right. this, like I could see someone listening and be like, oh, I should find more Christian punk bands. But like this would, could also just be a gateway to any punk. Right. Like I like, could see someone man. like this could be their first punk album and actually listening to like the Sex Pistols or whatever. Well, it's funny because MXPX, they're really big fans of the band NoFX. Yeah. And I remember Mike, Mike Carrera used to have NoFX stickers on his guitar and stuff. And so like that's how I learned about NoFX was from MXPX. <laughs> nice. um, and I mean, and then, you know, later on, MXPX wound up on the Vans tour and I went to see them in concert at Vans Orlando. And of course, like they're sharing the stage with like Anthrax and American or Anti-Flag and um, and some of these other, you know, like, you know, real punk acts. Um, but um, yeah, no, you're totally right. It's a gateway. Yeah. Like you, you can't fake it. This is not an alternative to another punk band, you know? Right. So I I, uh, I I commend them on that, and I think it's uh, super cool. Is there anything you want to say about Escape Reason? Uh, nope. Okay. Let's move on to Cesspool, which is my first favorite song. Yes. Am I just walking dead? Suffering 
Um, I just really love the chorus. Am I just walking dead? I suffer an accessible in my miserable existence. You know, we were talking a lot about like self-flagellation and stuff from like DC Talk mm-hmm. and Jars of Clay. Um, this is better. <laughs> this is this well, is the kind that I like. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that actually this morning. I was listening to this song on the way into the office, and I thought, yeah. I thought, uh, I was like, yeah, this this to me, this is this is a good example of like what JP was saying about how you know bands like DC Talk, or whatever, they 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 take it safe, right? Yeah, and they don't allow for like metaphor or whatever. And this is like, yeah, which again, like go back to like when we talked about Dookie, Green Day's Dookie, right? Mm-hmm. This self-loathing element that's a part of the punk scene, right? The idea in Christianity that you would be like, I'm trying to, like we hear this in the, later on in the song Spare Change, like I'm trying to change, I'm trying to be better, but I, you know, I'm also going to screw up too. And I feel bad when I screw up. And so to like write a song that brings that feeling into the fore, right? Like it's a part of the Christian experience. And, but like so often in Christian music, it's all like, we're, we're going to pretend that stuff doesn't exist. It's all happy, clappy and positivity. And you know, like Z88 100 or Z88.3 in Orlando, right? Positive hits. Um, right. Whereas, you know, like this is not positive. Right. No, it's not. I mean, it's, but it's it, true. And it's right. And, and the, the rawness, of punk allows for it to be not lame. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, DC talk is, you know, it, they're, they're just trying to try to do like a grungy thing a little bit. Uh, jars of clay, uh, you know, coffee shop music. So like when they start getting self-flagellating, it's a little bit like, oh, poor me, you know, this one is like, no, this is someone dealing with issues, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like this is someone really confronting something, uh, uh, that's causing them to feel something overwhelming. And it's like you're meeting it with aggression. Mm-hmm. And something about that just, I don't know, it makes it more relatable, I guess. Um, although I wouldn't call this necessarily self-flagellation. I would just say it's just like I am suffering. Not like I'm a bad person, but I, I'm, I'm right. suffering. I'm hurting. I'm, I'm in pain. And it sucks. So one of the things that makes you think about this, Billy Power, uh, in the interview I read with, one of the interviews I read with him, talked about, so he's the son of a church musician. Right. And uh, he um, he talked about how like he was in like school band or whatever, and then he got kicked out for getting into a fight. Yeah. Right. And his dad was like, "That's awesome." <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, "Now you're also going to like play in church stuff all the time." <laughs> right. Um, he said he had to like, play like handbells and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but what I what I love about that element that his dad was like awesome. You know, first of all, like you gotta love the church musicians. They're the, they're always the the fringy. They're always the fringy folks in the church, right? Right. Um. But the other the other thing is, well, they, it's either one one of two ways, right? Either they're like the double down fundamentalist type, or they're like the fringy experimental weirdos. Yeah. Um, but what I what I like about that fact about him is that he grew up in the church, and I and I think you can hear in a lot of these lyrics, like a rage against the church mm-hmm. as well. Um, but not like in a typical punk like. I'm, you know, I'm rejecting you and angry at you and I'm just going to keep like spewing my issues with you, but more like, like, it's like, I'm still a part of this and I still have kind of a love for it, but I'm really pissed off at it all the time. Yeah. Um, and you know, so like, I think that also adds to this idea of like what you hear in cesspool is just like, I'm just pissed off. (laughs) And I love the low distortion. Oh yeah, in uh, this song, it's super cool. It's like it's very, it's almost a little bit metal, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that's the thing is, I mean, punk punk has its roots in metal. Yeah, and you definitely hear it in 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 this album. Yeah, it gets low and it gets slow. It's it's really cool. And it speeds up, of course. Um, but just kind of going over this lyrics again, like uh, this bitter pill slowly chokes me to death. It's waking time again. I sit beneath the stream of angry words flowing from my breath. Awesome. <laughs> and like, let's add to the fact that he is seeing these things with like absolutely no polish yeah. and is like alternating between sort of like flat notes and then just shredding his throat screaming. Yeah, I know. Crazy. All right. Um, the next one is Power Trip. Because of politics, you lack reason. Just like a hypocrite who never listens. You're yeah. Um, Racism. Yeah, so I wrote this. Um, I wrote, it's a my, classic punk, right? Just I'm just going to scream the things I'm angry about. Yeah, There's a list of them. I, I wrote on this that this song kicks color people's ass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you should, you should was, be clear that you're talking about the song Colored yes, People. Yes, I'm talking about the talk. song Colored People. <laughs> Uh, by DC Talk that we talked about a couple weeks ago. It was like the first thing I thought about when I was listening to this. I was like, okay, like I'm thinking of DC Talk, like, hey, hey, come on, guys. Come on. Hey, come on. <laughs> this was like, racism! Poverty! <laughs> Is it all in my... Yeah. Um, super cool. I, I, this, this is what I love to see. All right? You love to see just someone angry at racism and just like, you know, just, we're not going to try to hold hands. We're going to like throw bricks until uh, something good happens. <laughs> um, well, I just, I just love like, I, I, and this to me is a thing that I love about this is it is that, and I, I, whenever I listen to this, like, fourteen, fifteen year old me kind of emerges. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm always like, man, I wish I had this. I wish I had really listened to this in those days because, like, I simp like that was the, the that was sort of the kid I was. I'm walking around in my fundamentalist school. And later on in my fundamentalist church and I'm looking around and I'm like, do you people not see what I'm seeing? Yeah. And that to me is what this song is. It's just like, is this all in my head? Because like, I'm looking around and seeing this insanity and like, none of you seem to notice it either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's just, just in our day to day, the fact that all this exists and we all have to kind of like pretend Mm -hmm. that it's normal. In a way, right. even though even as we address that, it's like not a good thing. We still live with the truth of all of like the horribleness in our country, the racism that's all around. us, the poverty that's all around us, the sickness, <clears throat> especially last, last year or so. And we're just yeah. supposed to be like, you know, just 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 power through it, you know, like just still well, try to be normal about everything. And it's like it's driving me insane. Well, and add the layer of of being an evangelical Christian. Right. Yeah. Right. And so you're looking at not only is it like the, the politics piece, but there's also like in the church, this is like attitude of like, you know, like, I mean, how many how many churches up there would be like, you know, blue lives matter, all lives matter, you know? Yeah. And it's and, like, yeah, you're, you're basically you're essentially like gaslighting yourself because now when you go to church, you're, you're supposed to be talking about all the horrible things and how do we fix it. Right. But we're not. <laughs> so I think that's an I think that's an element in this entire song is that. And I would be loved. That's why I love that talk to Billy Power in this whole album, because I want to be like, dude, I feel like it feels to me like the, the undercurrent in all of this is that 
you're seeing that you're sort of and, and you're, you're you're sort of predicting it that the church is sort of making a Faustian bargain with yes. mainstream status quo culture mm-hmm. and that in so doing you've 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 abandoned what makes you you i mean we saw it happen in real time right like all trump had to do is be like hey hey i support you and they're like oh oh we love you now yeah he we'll goes do anything you want bible. he waves a bible in front of saint john's episcopal church that without anyone asking and they're like oh he's defending his faith he's demonstrating <laughs> his faith and it's like mm, he's fighting okay. for our rights as christians <laughs> Yeah, we really needed that. Thank you. Um, but just the, the opening lines, because of politics, you lack reason. Just like a hypocrite yep. that never listens. You're on a power. See, I hear this song and I hear it as I hear it as the church being in bed with the Republican Party, like the major, moral majority. That's what yeah. I hear. Yeah. In this song. Totally. And then Sorry, it kind of gets to the end where they're talking about. Uh, and now the power shift from wrong to right conformed conform to the new ideal or you will die. Don't try to think yourself or have opinions. BPC is the rule I will not follow. Yeah. It, of it, course, it, now, like, you could do that. You could hear that line differently nowadays, right? Yeah, I know. I know. There, it, yeah, there's definitely the crowd that, like, when they hear, like, BPC, they're like, oh, I can't say the N-word? What the hell? Um, that's usually, I mean, that's usually what I hear when I hear someone say, like, I'm not going to be PC. Like, I feel like it was probably different back then. I feel like this is sort of like, you know, hey, Tipper Gore, shut up. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's go back to let's go back to PCU. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's look at a movie that sort of caught that, that I think sort of captured the zeitgeist of our feeling in the 90s of around. Right. Because this is the thing. This is the thing about like the 90s. And I think I think Matt Sin and Trey Parker are pretty good emblematic figures in this, too. Uh, and I think this is why punk was so popular. Um, and particularly in the late, started to become popular in the late nineties and stuff was just this general sense of like, nobody likes the extremes. Yeah. You know? And so like every, there was a sort of recognition of just like everybody being uptight and like policing one another on both sides. Right. Cause that's sort of the, right. The people that get made fun of in PCU are both like the, the like radical, the radical feminist hippie type people as well as like, uh, the republican the womenists i believe is what they're called yeah <laughs> with wise um and you know and so like that not, not that necessarily that's the, the best example of a movie to talk about with this but i think like it it, it reflects a, a sort of sense that a lot of us had at that time which is just like why did like you know everybody's got their rules mm-hmm. actually i've been thinking about this a lot because uh there was a quote recently from gwen stefani where she was once again accused of cultural appropriation and she called BS on it. Um, And she said, you know, we're living in the society where there's all these rules. And I thought we were supposed to sort of be like fighting against rules. Hmm. And I was like, there's the SoCal punk chick that, that, that we'd forgotten about. (laughs) And the Gavin Rossdale fell in love with. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, that's right. Like that's the thing we've seemed to have forgotten is that, like you know we're we're a culture of sellouts now it's mm. all about the brand yeah um we need we need we need a little we need a little punk rock infusion in our society once again to just remind us that like be authentic don't be a sellout and you know i don't know anyway it, it, well you, it, we're we're approaching a really kind of ugly and powerful neoliberalism 
Um, right. Which I think would be a really interesting topic for us to talk about on this podcast, because I don't think many people know what neoliberalism is. Because I only just found it, like, a few years ago. Um, I'm still trying to grasp it. But even then, like, <laughs> and also it, it was sort of broached on the latest uh, Bo Burnham special. Um, which, which I need to watch. It's really good. And it's also, like, kind of insane. Um, because Like Bo Burnham. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, no, no, you're right. And, and, you know, when I think of, like, movies like PCU, which was, like, a favorite movie of mine when I was a, you know, young conservative shithead. Um didn't realize I was David Spade. I thought I was Jeremy Piven. Um, right. But like the the, the idea, bigger. yeah the <laughs> the idea was that like you know I mean I, I don't like that they threw raw meat at the vegans. That's I don't think that's cool. Um, right. No. <laughs> but you know trolling you know the yuppies and stuff and basically just trying to get them to be like hey let's just have a good time. Like that's kind right. of the that's that's the crux of the movie is like let's just show them get more like, day at the time and have a good time. Yeah, exactly. No, no, it wasn't worst day. It was uh, George Clinton. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. George Clinton. I was confusing that with um, I was thinking of uh, what Jay and Silent Bob movie where they have more day in the time. Yeah, that's right. That's Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah, yeah. This one is George Clinton and the Parliament uh, Funkadelic All Stars. Funkadelic. Hell yeah, dude. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I can see which I, I know what you mean, and I think that was a very different. Uh, it was a different attitude back then. I think PC back then meant something very different than today. I feel like when I say, when I see people being like, "You need to be more PC," and they really mean to be say, like, they really mean to be saying, "Stop saying racist jokes." <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, and then and then the people only people who say PC are the are people on the right. Yeah, and that becomes like, and then that just means like, I'm not PC means I'm not a Democrat. Whereas, like, the way PC was talked about in, like, Blunderhead is sort of, like, it's aimed at everybody. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay, so let's move on to the next uh, banger, <clears throat> which is Bottle Breaker. I'm just a bottle breaker, voice raising fool. Who am I to ever think that I could be used by you? Great title for this song, by the way. Bottle Breaker. Yeah. That's actually the title of Billy Powers uh, or Bill Powers uh, biography. Oh, really? His like his own like autobiography thing. Yeah. I'm just a bottle breaker, voice raising fool. Who am I to ever think that I could be used by you? I've caused another fight, and I know it's all my fault. You can hear me cuss and scream all the way down the hall. Um, that was. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just saying. I, just, I think it's a sweet lyric. <laughs> it's cool. It is a sweet lyric, and it's a bold lyric for a Christian band yeah. to even acknowledge that I cuss. Yeah, to acknowledge I have, like, I, I experience the full range of emotions in front of people. Mm-hmm. Most Christian albums do have at least one song about, like, how I'm, like, a bad person, but I'm still forgiven, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's always so like sappy <laughs> right. and saccharine, and you know, lame. I'm going to be saying that a lot in this podcast. Sorry. Now, this is what I want from someone who is like saying I'm making Christian art. I yeah. I, I think about the just the word I am a bottle breaker. Yeah. Because I think of that like that's a good evocative lyric because it can mean a couple of things, right? It could mean like, you know, I'm throwing a bottle, right? right. Like in a bar, and that sort of starts a fight. You, it could be a Molotov cocktail. Um, it could also just be like I'm inside. I feel like I'm bottled up and I'm inside a bottle and I'm breaking through the bottle of feeling bottled up. 
Um, so it could be an internal thing. And I just, I think, and, and I think all three of those interpretations are valid. Mm-hmm. But there's also a, an element too of like, I'm just a bottle breaker. Yeah. Like I'm not really doing much. <laughs> I'm just sort of raging. And it has this great little line. It's a miracle to be awake in a world that's sleeping. It gets to the heart of like someone who probably thinks they don't really deserve to be in this place that they're in as a Christian. Um, but again, it's not, I don't feel like this person's navel gazing. Right. Well, and it's, it's sort of the way that I feel about once, like, once you start reading, like, this is something that anybody who's like a student of philosophy begins to experience is when you start reading philosophy, you're sort of, you sort of, you, you become aware of a certain level of thinking. Right. That most people never engage with. Yeah. And it becomes super frustrating because you're like, oh my gosh, like why? And this has been me the whole, this has been me this entire pandemic right. has been just like watching like people just not have any kind of critical thinking skills. Right. You know, and on, on all sides and yeah. just being like, just so frustrated. It's like, I wish, you know, that's why I, I sometimes I, I sympathize, I sympathize with old Cypher on in, in the matrix. <laughs> When he eats the digital steak, and it's just like you know what, ignorance is bliss. Some I, I get it sometimes, man. I get it. Well, you're talking about philosophy. It's like what Socrates said, right? He's like, I I know, I know more than my peers because I know that I know nothing, and they I, don't know that yet. Right. So that's almost like a Zen koan, by the way. Oh, totally. Like Cornell West talks about it, and it's really like fascinating the way he approaches it. So yeah, let's move on uh, to let down. Yeah. This is another one, right? Like, I'm, you know, this is the one where he just screams expectations, expectations, degradations. Disappointment. Right? Don't look at me. Disappointment. I'll let you down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it, 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 you know, it, it's, it just, it's emotionally honest. Yeah, it makes sense within the context of, like, the songs that precede it. Um, that this is sort of what we're going to arrive at, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost as if he's kind of like Which, stripping himself down in a way. It's there, This actually makes me think of something that... Um, so one of the people who's been very dear to my life is... Um, I think I brought him up a couple times here on the podcast. I bring him up at the church a lot, so people probably still can hear me talking about him. But um, is was Mark Dyer. Mark was the... Uh, Mark is an interesting guy. Um He's now gone to. He's now dead. Gone to his his eternal reward. Um, he was a professor at Virginia Seminary, um, but he had a long career. He was a, a Benedictine monk for eleven years, and he was kicked out of the Catholic Church, and then became an Episcopal priest, and then later a, um, um, the a, the Bishop of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, um, in the eighties. Um, friends Desmond Tutu. I mean, just a really really fascinating guy, and just one of the most like like just one of the most truly Christian people I've ever known. And Mark, he's he's from Boston originally, so he has his very Boston attitude. And um, he was telling us about how he gets really bothered by the fact that. So this is a, this is a little inside baseball in the Episcopal Church. But if you look at, like, so we have appointed readings every day, as well as you know throughout the year and everything that we that we follow for all the stuff that we do. And if you follow the 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 the, the lectionary for the daily office, which is our rhythm of prayer every day. There's like multiple psalms, but a lot. There are a few cases where like random verses of the psalms are bracketed out mm-hmm. because like over the years we have found those like distasteful, and so we're just like we give you the option to not have to say them. And one of those is at the end of I can't remember which psalm it is off the top of my head, but it's one more infamous, one of the most infamous psalms in the Bible where um, 
where it says that like I like I wish God would approach the enemies of Israel and dash their children's heads against the stones. Oh. Right? Like and it's I mean this really brutal violent lyric, a violent line and people like you know we don't we don't say it. And I remember Mark one time said to us, he said it to me in a conversation I lived with him. He said um he said in his Boston accent, "It's stupid." He said, "It's stupid to ignore that line." And he said, "The reason why is," he says, "David is not saying that like this is what we are supposed to do. Like he's not endorsing that behavior. Rather, it, he said it is the, probably one of the most emotionally honest lines in the entire Bible, where David is saying, "This is how I feel right now." Mm-hmm. And he says, "We tend to hide that kind of anger in the church." But the idea that the scriptures would canonize that kind of anger is important for us to engage. Like, yeah, so of course, you know, I, I can understand you don't want to talk about it every time the song comes up, but we shouldn't ignore it. And like when we try to hide this stuff, like it's to our detriment because it reinforces these feelings that Christianity is like vapid and positive and all this kind of stuff. Right. And so, like, I think about that when I think about like this song and like just a whole many, a bunch of things in this album. Right. Because, again, like, oh, it's not positive. It's not. It's not uplifting. It's not edifying to your spirit. Well, you know, but the Bible is okay with, I mean, the entire book of Ecclesiastes is about whether or not God exists, you know? So like the, the, the scriptures have canonized the emotions and these feelings. And so like, it's okay for us to experience them and express them as Christians as well. And so like having somebody being emotionally honest about like, don't have expectations of me. I'm just going to let you down. Right. And like a sort of a self self-loathing or even, you know, just emotionally honest thing like that's just good and true to be able to acknowledge that uh, this next one. Alcohol house. Listening to this this morning, I was thinking, I'm like, in a lot of ways, this this album has covered a lot of the ground that we have covered talking about like Jars of Clay and and but does it all so much better? I know because yeah, Jars of Clay has the child abuse song he yeah, and but this like this really like this song makes me uncomfortable at yeah. the level of how it like hits what like an abusive alcoholic father sounds like, even though I've never had one, you know. And and the Jars of Clay song, you know, God bless Jars of Clay. I'm not going to bash them. Yeah, yeah, we had a good time with that album. It's, good, it's a very good album, yeah. But that song feels so detached from its subject. Yeah. You know? Or it's like he's telling a story of like things that have happened. I don't know if this happened to him or not, or somebody knows. I don't know. But I feel detached. Yeah, it's, it's like he sad. read Flowers in the Attic and decided to like write a song. Yeah, yeah this is like someone working through their trauma. Um, like intense trauma. <laughs> You will get along. We will get along. You will get along if I say so. Yeah. Um, like, that's toxic masculinity, man. Yeah. Like, what was I going to... If you tell a soul, I'll kill you while you sleep. Yeah, but, like, what a great way to, like... what? A, what I mean, again, 1994, yeah. here's a Christian band that is, in a sort of roundabout way, talking about toxic masculinity. Right. This, I mean, to me, this, this raises, like, an abusive father, right? Like... Yeah. Yeah, someone who's, who's, whose alcoholism has gotten the best of them and they've, they've become a very abusive, like physically abusive and mentally abusive, just just an all-around awful person who's like threatening to kill everybody mm-hmm. and and also trying to like justify, well, I have to drink. It calms my nerves, even though I like threaten to kill you every night. <laughs> I still have to do it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's intense. 
Um, well, Billy Billy Power was really good friends at this time, apparently with um, with both Damien Gerardo and um, David Bazan of Pedro the Lion, and okay. I guess apparently David Bazan and Damien Gerardo, like Gerardo is like famous for like being like kind of like a troubadour, uh, but he had, but. Uh, Gerardo and uh, and Bazan were in like a punk band together before Pedro the Lion became a thing, and um, and I mentioned I mentioned last week that uh, David Bazan uh, used heroin addiction as a way to talk about sin and sinfulness. And he was looking at the ugliness around him in Seattle. So this is like another example of a similar kind of. I can see that like Billy Power and him and like conversations they had worked its way into a song like this where like we're just going to let the ugliness be on full display right and i'm not trying to say that this is billy power talking about his dad because it seems like he had an okay relationship with his dad yeah 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 i mean it could be one of the other guys in the band but yeah or it could also just be like this is a fictional thing he wanted to touch on because he didn't feel like people in the church were talking about enough or whatever and even if it is fictional way more visceral than like what he was doing and what jars of clay with the song he all right, are we ready to? You want to move on? Or anything else you want to say? Or? Yeah, dude, I'm ready to move on because, like, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to talk about the next song, bro. Okay, let's see. I'm so ready to talk about the next song. Purgatory. Blood-sucking, oh, yeah. maggot-infested media machine. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the ones where I think my misheard lyric is better than the actual lyric. Oh, okay. What was your so misheard lyric? I, I've been operating off of the assumption that the song was um, that the lyric went. Let me get it right here in the chorus where it's um, um, it must be a pain or it must be a, it, it's such a drag to fit in um, a stupid game where nobody wins. I'd rather be myself than blend in. The actual lyric is with all the cans on the shelf. I always heard it as kids on the shelf, oh. which I think is a better lyric. This is also one of those songs where I can hear. I can hear the Christian record industry intervention with some lyrics because it's yeah. very clear that when he lists like Johnny and Susie and, you know, like whatever, yeah. like perfect skin, then he says perfect hips. That's not what he wanted to say. <laughs> he wanted to say perfect. <laughs> That's what he wanted to say. Yeah. Jazzercise, step aerobics and thigh master too. For those of you listening, if you're of a certain generation, if you don't know what a thigh master is, there is a, uh, <laughs> There is a woman named Suzanne Summers, uh, a mythical woman. Step by step. Uh, step by step and uh, Charlie's Angels. Uh, no, not Charlie's Angels. That's fate. That's very positive. I'm thinking of Three's Company, three, three's company uh, who sold the Thigh Master, which was like this plastic thing you put between your thighs and you squeezed them. And that was supposed to make you look like Suzanne Summers. That was like one of those big, that's like one of those. Artifacts like like the club, right? That you dude, put on the steering dude, wheel. Dude. People still use the club here in Hawaii. I see it all the time. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's awesome. <laughs> um, pretty sure we have ways around that now, but yeah. Um, oh yeah, no. I, I watched like a 2020 like John Stossel report or whatever, where somebody was able to like drive a car pretty far <laughs> with the club still engaged. What if someone used a thigh master as the club? Anyway. Or the club as the five master. Hmm. So I'll stop being an old fart. Um, but no, no, this is this is a sick song, uh, and this is this is, bro. This is like they use the word poser. I know that's which, what I was having in my notes. Is it poser? <laughs> I hadn't heard that word in so long. It felt so good. It feels yeah. so good to hear it. Being a poser sure is swell. Is that really you? I can't tell. 
Of course, that become that comes after licking the flames of conformity hell. Yeah, this is very much like I will not conform to you posers uh, t- kind of anthem. I mean, right? to be fair, to be fair, I remember something Keelan once said to me when we were watching Goths at the mall. And he was like, he was like, he's like, I'm not a conformist. I'm an individual, which is why I look just like all my friends. <laughs> um, and... And I'm like, I, I love this song, but I'm also like, well, but you know, like all punk songs kind of sound the same. <laughs> like there's a reason why you can look at a group of kids and be like, oh, those are punks. Like, right. There's, there's a degree of conformity that's involved, but to be, but what this is, is, is like, this is in the nineties, especially before punk went mainstream. This was when like punk, yeah, you looked a certain way, but you chose it. Yeah. You weren't, you weren't marketed to be this way. Well, I, I think maybe it should have been less about, about individuality and more about collect, collect, uh, collectivity. You know, I dress yeah, like yeah, my yeah. friends because there's strength in numbers and we empower each other and we stand yeah. in solidarity. Right. That's a good point. And then, you know, instead of like, Oh, the TV has told me I need to like wear this certain thing. So that's what I dress like now. Yeah. I mean, Let's. I mean, let's 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 be honest. If, if you were a punk kid, or, or you weren't yet a punk kid, and you discovered punk, and you dressed as a punk, and you went to a punk club, you were not going to not fit in. You were going to like people could bring you in, right? You wanted to be part right. of right. what you were going to. So I don't know. Right. It's just a. Uh, it's it's you know it's it's all because <clears throat> it's all because Chuck, our country does not value collective action. Uh, it's and, true, it doesn't. And, individ- and individualism, not necessarily a bad philosophy, but it is so ingrained into our culture that any kind of collective action is is, is like frowned upon or uh, is seen as like a 1984 nonsense or whatever. Right, which is, which is strange because individualism is an innovative idea in the grand history of humanity. Like we have evolved to be collectivist. Right. You know, like if I had traveled to the future and saw that like American Eagle was selling like Metallica t-shirts, cause <laughs> I think that was going on for a while. Yeah. Like that would be like heartbreaking, right? The idea that or like target is selling like an Aerosmith shirt, right? That like mm-hmm. there's, there was something to seeing like the stuff being co-opted by the corporate machine right. and then like target and sold to you as being like, Oh, this is cool now. And it's like, no, 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 no. This was not cool to you when it was popular. And you people actively tried to prevent kids from accessing this stuff. Yeah. But now that there's money to be made now you're okay. And you know what it's just like rainbow flags on oh the advertisements, God. by the way, happy pride month, everybody. To show your gay pride, give us money on Patreon. Weren't there like a bunch? That's what all these companies are doing now. Yeah. Weren't there like a bunch of uh, government Twitter accounts that like put pride flags on their avatars, like the CIA, the Department of Defense? I think the CIA did. Yeah. Which is so weird. Last year. Oh my gosh. Dude. Th- yeah. Let, let's take a. Let's take a. This is this is why our this is why our society needs an injection. Uh, needs a good punk rock injection again, man. Because, like, I want to be clear when I'm criticizing this, like, the rainbow flags on the, like, on, like, all the ads at the mall is not because I'm a homophobe, right? Like, I'm not. It's because I'm really irritated 
to see that these companies that many of them spent years like campaigning against this stuff and still do CEOs gave and still do. But now, now that it's safe, right now that it's legal and okay, now we're going to be in support of it. And it's shameless because all it is, is it's, it's, and oh, I could keep going brother because it's (laughs) just like, like let's create an identity. Okay. So now like, I mean, think about it. Think about like what gay culture has become, right? Like, or all subcultures, right? They're like these cultures, all they are is vacuums to be sold crap. And that's really what it is. It's like, oh, to to show how gay you are, you need to buy this like gaudy, ridiculous thing that we've determined is fabulous because that's what you people say, right? Fabulous. Yeah. That's what you you're you're all about glitter and fabulous. It's like, you know, like I just I I I like dudes or I like chicks or I like whatever. Like it's I like both. I like neither. I you know it's like why does it necessitate me having to buy a bunch of crap? Right. But that's because capitalism is the devil. <laughs> It, you know, if you want to go hard on capitalism, I, I'm with you, brother. Um, quick aside, though, because you were talking about, like, Target selling Aerosmith shirts and stuff. Um, I, I went to the movies the other day. First time back in over a year since Dude. I saw Sonic the Hedgehog. Nice. And the movie I saw was Cruella. <laughs> okay. I saw my, my little cousins asked me to take them, so I took them. Yeah, talk about talk about co-opting punk rock culture. Sorry. Yeah, I'm about to say, uh, yeah. So like the whole idea behind Cruella, it's a prequel to 101 Dalmatians. Uh, the backdrop is like 1970s uh, London, and the backdrop is 1970s London during like the punk movement in the UK during the time because Cruella is like a thief. She lives on the streets with her like thief thieving friends and they go on heists and stuff and her whole thing is that like she creates this like this like joker-esque uh uh alter ego and she calls it cruella and she uses it to like vandalize uh fashion shows put on by like this you know devil wears prada meryl streep character type character and okay. there's one particular set piece where she interrupts a big fashion event with her own and it's held outdoors at this fountain and the song and there's a there's a song and that song is I want to be your dog by Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Cruella is, is like a multi-million dollar kids movie. It's a, it's a prequel to 101 Dalmatians. I want to be your it's- dog was like the the bridge between like garage garage rock to like punk rock. And was like the most underground song about like masculinity and and a little bit of kink culture, uh, dude. Dude, let's let's talk about the fact that like when Iggy Pop would be performing this song during this time period, he would have been he yeah he would have been like shirtless yeah. and he would have been like smashing light bulbs onto his body and yeah. cutting himself. <laughs> yeah, like. Iggy Pop pissed people off. They were terrified of him. Yeah. Iggy Pop, I mean, people are still kind of terrified. <laughs> he's, he's, did he die? No, he's still alive. I, I believe he's still alive. I think the world would stop. I know he lives in Miami. I know, I know he was living in Miami, which is interesting. Yeah, pretty sure he's still alive. Uh, but yeah, now I want to be your dog. It's a great song. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to hear it in that context, I was just like, okay. You know, people say punk is dead, and I think they were wrong. Um, now it's dead. <laughs> like I think that I think that killed it. Um, but yeah, just 
Oh, it was... I was not expecting that. I didn't know that was going to happen. I knew like the background was supposed to be punk. And the soundtrack does go hard, by the way. That soundtrack goes harder than any soundtrack I've ever heard. You want to talk about soundtracks better than the movie, Chuck? Holy crap. Um, <laughs> okay. It, I'll it's, look into it. It's amazing. Um, but when I heard that song, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like, I've got my little nephews here, my little cousins. <laughs> listening to, and Emma Stone is singing it. And like, oh, it's so weird. And yeah, if they start, like if, when, they, uh, if they play that song like a Disney World or something, that would be just like too much. Was it was it that Peter Pan movie where they did uh, Teen Spirit? Yes, but that wasn't a Disney film, right? But um, it's yeah. Yes. So this is again like all of this stuff has been co opted by the corporate machine. And the thing is, it blows my mind is that kids these days see that as a virtue. Yeah, like Kurt Cobain made Courtney Love return a Mercedes that she bought. Right. Yeah. Because he's like, that's just not who we are. Right? Kurt Cobain, when touring in support of Nevermind, one night he shows up to, or one day he shows up to Soundcheck and he only has one Converse shoe on his foot. And the <laughs> the guitar tech was like, yo, what happened? And he said, oh, I was like, oh, where's your other shoes? Like, oh, it got stolen when I was crowd surfing. <laughs> like the guy was like, you know, you're a millionaire, right? Like you could go buy another shoe. But, you know, at the same time, it's like it, it it's it's becoming supercharged because that. I don't know if we're going to get into this, but like the 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 uh, economic disparity is getting so much worse. So it's like mm-hmm. you have to sell out if you want to survive. I, I feel like some people view it that way. You know, if you if, if you so that you don't freaking starve because like now well, artists what, get paid nothing. Right. But it's fake. Like that's the thing that gets me that it's fake. Right. Like there are these you know, you can like come to Hawaii and there are there are like apartments and stuff that people have that are empty and you rent them oh, so that you can take your Instagram photos like you're on some luxury vacation. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're I, I mean, there's staying. I lived in Las Vegas. There were entire entire subdivisions just completely empty. And yet the homeless population is like out of control in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, they made a joke about it in the uh, Fright Night uh, remake. All right. Uh, anyway, so a uh, little bit of a tangent, but I think, uh, hey, man, that's that's what punk well, rock does, right? Well, that, and the thing is, is that like this song to me is like a great distillation of like what was going on with punk in the 90s, right? Like, yeah, we've talked about this before. One thing that kids these days will never understand was the anxiety that we experienced about being a poser like being called a poser was like the white n-word you know what i mean like it was it was was bad it was really bad yeah um i got called poser a lot (laughs) i didn't like it (laughs) i remember i remember when uh we were like seniors at pba and uh there was this other kid who like who came to pba uh he was like a freshman and he was in the film program and he like kind of looked like you and you called him poser jp yeah (laughs) (laughs) it did um, because he he dressed like me, he did. And there I was were a like, couple times where I actually was like, "Oh, hey, oh, that's not JP." <laughs> um, yeah, that's how how cool I was. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the, the name of the song is Purgatory, and I think that's interesting. Right. So it's like a, it's a period in the '90s. You know, the '90s. I feel like a lot of people felt like they were at the end of history. Mm-hmm. And then well, 9/11. Didn't the guy wrote that book about it. <laughs> Is that what happened? I don't. I don't remember. I, don't there, remember. Oh, I can't remember his name. Uh, pretty sure he was a Japanese economist. He wrote a book called "The End of History." Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know. Out, I think like ninety nine. Yeah. Okay. 
I mean, yeah, I mean that that's how people sort of felt in the '90s, and then like Columbine, and then 9/11, and then all of a sudden, oh, history is back, I guess. History, yeah. And so, like, how how that sort of affects you know the media and stuff, and uh, I guess punk rock probably felt like it was in purgatory during the '90s because grunge had taken off and then become mainstream to the fact where DC Talk was <laughs> calling themselves grunge. So it must have felt like. Okay. I think we're, we're, we're approaching the end. Yeah. Um, and I think there's all, I mean, that, that also there's, there was a thing within evangelical Christianity that saw purgatory kind of in similar terms as limbo, that it's not really heaven and it's not really hell. Yeah. And so I think that that's also part of the, the meaning of the calling the song purgatory is just like these people are, they're not really anything. All right. So let's go on to internalize. This was a. This is the one that gets uh, that gets pretty um, pretty uh, criticized in some American politics stuff. To be Christian is not to be a flag waver. So the the board in the USA Bible probably not. <laughs> I yeah. This is where like. This and what blows my mind about this is that like the Baptist being having grown up Baptist like. If you st- if you look at the heart of Bap- of the Baptist theology, it was really rooted in a radical idea of separation of church and state, and the idea of non participation in the political system. Um, the Anabaptists, of course, have uh, part of the, you know is uh, part of the Anabaptist tradition is the uh, Moravians, who are famous pacifists who will not engage in um, in stuff. So, like, but not the Moravians. Sorry. Um, am I thinking of anyway Anabaptist tradition is tend, tends to be pretty pacifistic and so like we now think of Southern Baptists as like super patriotic you know I learned a great term recently petro masculinity which is uh referring to like this whole thing of like guys driving big gas guzzling aggressive trucks is like a show of their sense of masculinity yeah there's plenty um, of that here. Yeah. Yeah. And how like Ford and all these companies, they like package it as like military tactical. That whole thing is all part of petro masculinity. That's what we associate a lot of this kind of Christianity with these days and what they try to do. I mean, look at like any kind of any kind of like men's conference. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's just like. Yeah. Fire and guns and flags and all this kind of stuff. Right. But like. The, the roots of the Christian faith is actually like, you know, we, you know, the, the reason why Jesus is called Lord and why people were, have been killed throughout the centuries for that is because the political lords don't like the idea that Christians would find lordship in someone other than them. Mm-hmm. And so like the idea of like for me to pledge allegiance to another, like that's a loaded political line in terms of like where the church is. And that's the kind of stuff that was pretty surprisingly like a big part of the Christian punk scene, um, um, MXPX's Teenage Politics album has a song called Americanism that touches on this stuff too, which, you know, is, is, is shocking. And I think, you know, I wasn't always aware of it when I was listening to it as a teenager, but it obviously like I, 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 I got it in my head through osmosis. Right. I mean, like five iron frenzy. I mean, they're the ones that actually introduced me to like the horrors of manifest destiny, right? Mm. Like Wester bust and God and God, we trust let's rape, let's kill it. Steal. We can do anything. We can do almost anything. Or we can justify anything. Oh, whatever. I can remember the line now. But, um, but like, 
criticizing the hypocrisy of the American government and the way that it has used like the Christian, you use Christian imagery in order to justify its evils is like a big part of this time period um, of criticizing that. And it's sad that we seem to have lost that. Um, and that's why it's just so refreshing to come across this and be like, man, I wish people were making music like this now. Yeah. Like where's a Christian artist doing this now? No, I, I think it's, I think it's a cool song. I think it goes on a little too long. Like it's almost four minutes. Yeah. It's kind of long, long for a punk song. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Next one. Oh, another favorite of mine. Oh. All right. We're talking about Spare Change, which opens with, I like the punk rock. Yeah. Okay. I like the punk rock. Right. I like the beat. I want to know who that quote is from. Yeah. Because the voice sounds like someone who in no way, shape, or form listens to punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> I like the beat because that's what you think of when you think of punk rock. No, the beat. No way. Um, they're talking about something else. You just don't. I have they no always idea. sound like they're sw- trying to swallow the microphone. Well, yeah, that's yeah, punk rock. You got to eat that mic. Um. So okay, you got to have, have a callus on your lip right here <laughs> from your microphone. Do you think Henry Rollins has that? Like he probably does. Oh, Henry Rollins. Um. Uh, so this is kind of about faith right like uh, we, we don't have to talk about it <laughs> i don't have the lyrics in front of me so i don't know like <laughs> I this is also here. one of the ones i have a hard time understanding the, the lyrics because they do sound like they're trying to swallow the microphone <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well I, I that's i mean that's kind of what i got from it that it's about faith but like not in a like he's trying to get it right despite himself yeah this is that one yeah 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 this is that yeah and the, the idea of spare change right that's i thought about this this morning because the lyric being spare change is like it's it's not money change it's yeah. like the change that goes on. Yeah. This is the one where I talked about this earlier. This is the one where he gets into the whole thing about like, I'm trying to be better, but I mess up. Right. Which is a classic Christian um, like feeling, but like, I mean, it's kind of like, what if I stumble on Jesus freak? But again, more honest and less sentimental. Because this is more like, I guess there's a bit more confidence behind this than something on What mm-hmm. If I Stumble, where it's like, because he's like, I'm just going to keep trying anyway. Right. Right? Which is something I feel like I was something, that was always something I had kind of dealt with as a Christian. So one time, one day I was just like, I'm not going to doubt it anymore. Like, if I'm doing something wrong, like, push me out of the way. If I'm doing, if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, like, physically stop me. Because I'm not mm-hmm. going to, like dance around it anymore i'm not gonna be like well, what if i do this what if this happens no you just gotta like sometimes you just gotta insist right right and, until something stops you i don't know i kind of see that in this a little bit yeah i mean it kind of makes me just to share a personal story i remember my first year of seminary i was in kind of like a low place toward the end of seminary where i was realizing that like i had like people who were important in my life who just sort of cut me out of their life and i was sort of wallowing in my in my own angst and despair. And I was taking a late night walk around the monuments in, in, the, in, in DC. And then I just had this thought, I was like, you know what? I have control over this. I can yeah. decide whether or not these people are going to have like, or, you know, I'm not going to let these people have these, this kind of power over me to feel this way. So like I sent emails to some of these people that late at night and it was like, like one person who was really close to me. And I was just like, you cut me out. Um, and I need it. And I, and I think I'm owed an explanation. Hmm. It was my youth pastor that I grew up with. It was like, you cut me out. You owe me an explanation. And he gave me a terrible explanation. We've never really had a good relationship since then. But that thing, it's okay. But like, I know that I did my part and I can move on, right? And so like, that's that's the kind of sentiment we're talking about here, right? Is this sense of like, I can wallow in this feeling of 
failure or not measuring up, but it's still worth trying. Good. <laughs> soapbox. <laughs> soapbox. Good. Good stuff. All right. Uh, well, that, yeah. was that, that was, that was now spare change. Now we're talking about soapbox. Now we're talking about soapbox. Because he's on his soapbox talking about the fact that wealthy Christians close their wallets to people that are just they, – they, they just want some change. They just they need a little bit of money. Yeah. Um, I mean this I love is... this. I love this because I do – you know I do a lot of homeless ministry and, and I've done a lot of homeless ministry in my, in my career. And what I love about this is that like this is like an in-your-face song at like your typical evangelical – well, then, I don't want to just blame the evangelicals. A lot of Christians, um, where it's just like, well, you know, if you just give them money, they're going to do drugs. I'm, so, like, don't country. give them money. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, don't just, give, don't give them money. Yeah, exactly. And I like mean, this, and like, but it's like from the perspective of like the homeless dude, of just like, I'm poor, I'm hungry, and I've lost my mind. Can you just spare some change? Yeah, and then it changes up to the yeah. people making excuses. It says so here, so here am I, and my st- and my safe cocoon. Uh, hold on, cocoon, uh, cocoon alarm. Uh-uh. <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. It's not my problem what happens to you. Close my wallet day after day. Don't feel, don't feel your desperation. Just go away. Mm-hmm. And that's Which, when it ends with, uh, hey, mister, can you spare a dime? We're just kind of like begging for money at the end of it. So two things. One is um, I think about this because one of the deals that we have here in Hawaii is we've got all these. I mean, you, you pull you the citizens of Honolulu and they'll tell you like homelessness is out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and, and the homeless and the homelessness here is of a different quality than the homelessness I've seen anywhere else because so it is so highly concentrated among drug addicts. Like it's not a day goes by where I don't hear somebody just screaming outside on the sidewalk because they're tweaking, you know, like it's just what happens. And like, it's getting to the place now where homeless people are stabbing tourists in Waikiki early at like early in the morning and stuff. And so like. But the problem is so everybody is like, we got to do something about the homeless problem. We could do something about the homeless problem. And then when the like city organizations are like, okay, well, we've got a plan. Like we're going to like mark out a section of this like public park where we can let them set up tents. And then like we'll have, you know, people to come by and check on them and offer services and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, well, what, but like, but like I can, I can, that's, I use that park. So like, yeah. I don't, I don't want that to happen there. So it's like, well, you know, NIMBY, not in my backyard. Um, well, I mean, and that's the case all over the country. But. Well, it, it's well, it, it is like that way all over the country, but it, it's different in some areas. Like, I feel like Hawaii is similar to California and how their homeless situation is, which is that because the reason why homelessness is so rampant in California, especially in places like LA, is because the real estate is just outrageous. Well, in San Francisco, yeah, San Francisco too. Real estate completely outrageous, right. and you're driving people out of their homes, but they have nowhere to go. Like, right. it's not like it's not like here in Oklahoma or like in Texas where it's like. If you, if you have to leave Dallas, you can leave Dallas and go to like the next town over because it's such a huge state, and there's there's fluctuating real estate all over the state. Like this, actually, mm-hmm. supposedly Texas real estate is actually not very bad. Um, so like if if you get kicked out of your home in the city, you can move to like East Texas or something. It's going to be a crappy right. town, but you won't be you home. You can buy like a four, yeah, or or you can like I mean, even if you want to get, go further, right? You can buy a four bedroom home in parts of Tennessee for like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, you just go to a place right. where it's cheaper. That doesn't happen right. in California. That that you that will not happen. So you're you're just you're stuck. Well, and like it's it's and it's like a, it's a huge problem in LA. I don't know if well, you add, followed. Well, yeah. I'm just saying, like, add add the fact that, like, yeah, it's like in California, you're stuck, but you're still in the mainland, and you can, like, yeah. you could feasibly go somewhere else, right? But right. like in Hawaii, you're 
you're 2,500 miles away from California. Right. You, yeah. have, you literally have nowhere to go. That, if, you can't mean, afford, that, if you can't afford month rent, you can't afford a plane ticket. Right. And so, like, that, that's why, like, you know, when I hear, like, oh, we'll just put up tents and, you know, we'll put them in parks. And, yeah, people complain about that. But it's like, okay, well, why don't you fix the real estate problem? <laughs> like, why don't you just get to the root of it? Well, you know, stop kicking us, people out. Well, for us, the problem is that, like, we just have, like, this no-holds-barred attitude on, like, out-of-state people, like, coming in and buying, like, second houses and then living on the mainland and coming here, you know, a couple times during the year or whatever and then illegally renting them out as Airbnbs. And so what happens is it drives the real estate market prices up yeah. in all the neighborhoods. And so the people who've been living here for generations, they can't afford to keep up with the with the market. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's creating this, like, crazy wage, like, or this wealth disparity, right? And so, like... Pretty soon, like if it goes unchecked, Hawaii is very much at risk of being like the only people who live in like Honolulu are people with like second property, vacation home properties, and then everyone else is just homeless. Wow. Um, it's like reminds I mean, that, me of Palm it, Beach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so or at least on the verge of homelessness or whatever. I mean, you know, the people who've had like family properties for generations, they hang on to them, right? Because they're paid off and they they deal with it. But like. Yeah. So, no, I agree with that. But and so there's systemic stuff. And like and, and, and that's the thing is, is a lot of people use the systemic problems as an excuse not to help. Like, oh, yeah, well, yeah and they're on drugs. I'm not going to give them money because, you know, like there's bigger issues that, you know, at, at play. Well, yeah. like, yeah, but also at the same time. Right. Can, you could you could give the guy a couple bucks. Yeah. Like it's not hurting anyone, you know, like and I will tell you this. If you're again, homelessness is different in different places. But I will tell you this. When I was in D.C., I learned and this is to listeners, not to you, J.P., is that. Working with homeless people in Washington, they told me in, in D.C., they told me that um, generally in a, in a city like in a place like D.C. And I'd imagine like L.A. and San Francisco are the same kind of situation where because the homeless population is so big, there's plenty of services out there and plenty of churches and other things that do work. What they told me was that, you know, like the two things that a homeless person, that the two things that the homeless people need is that, like, you know, we can get food, we can get clothes, we can find a place to sleep, we can do all that. Like if we come up to you asking for money, it's probably because we need to pay off our prepaid cell phone plan bills because we need the cell phone to be able to like try to get jobs and keep in touch with people like family yeah. and stuff. Right. Um, but they said, um, but the other thing that they said is like, you know, this, I'll never forget this conversation I had with a homeless guy at D in, in DC who said, um, he told me that the, the breakfast that we offered at Epiphany what the church I worked at was the best breakfast in town, which it just decidedly wasn't because it was powdered eggs, grits, frozen biscuits, yeah. frozen sausage. Like it was the same breakfast every day. Right. It was just and I mean, it was you know, it was tasty, but it wasn't like there's no way you're saying that that's the best food you're eating. But he, I saw so I said to him, I was like, I was like, OK, so what what makes it the best breakfast in town? And he said, you, you, you guys use real silverware and real plates. He says, you know, and that was one of the things the church was very committed to is that we would we would wash all the dishes after every service. And he said, it's just those little touches that make it feel like home. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it the best. You're not serving it in styrofoam and you're not giving us plastic wear. And he said, um, and then the guy that he went on to say, he's like, you know, we can find, you know, we can find. And he was he went on to talk about, you know, we can find shelter, we can find food. And but the one thing, the one thing that is the hardest thing for us to find, he told me, he said, is for someone to treat us like human beings. Wow. Um, I, so I, I hear this song and I think of that conversation. Kind of a testament to this album, I think, is every song we've revisited, we've visited and talked about, hasn't just been about a song, but about the issue that it's about. That it's right, which is what punk rock is. Yeah. I think that's about cool. issues. I mean, unless it's like, you know, the Ramones just kind of like singing about like, I got bubble gum in my shoe, or I don't know. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, because that could also be punk rock. 
Um, that's true. Uh, but no, I think that's that's cool that we can do that. And uh, this is a great song. And uh, it's it's amazing that like something like this could be so rare in like a Christian album. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's so right when when Jesus says the poor will always be with you. Yeah. And it's and I feel like if anyone were were going to do that, they would try to. Uh, the, 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 it, it's so easy to default to like be saccharine about it. Isn't it so sad that there's homeless people in the world, guys? That's sad. You know, no. Let's let's let, let's like get pissed off about it and like let's kind of like look at ourselves and see what we're doing wrong. So next one, national uh, drug. National drug. I have this one marked as a fave. Walk without walking, talk without talking, see without looking, thought without thinking, be without feeling, shoot without shooting. As well. Nice. Me too. Uh, it kind of reminded me of. Um, I don't know which one came out first because I'm not like a historian. <laughs> uh, the band Suicidal Tendencies, that song institutionalized. Okay. I don't know that song. It's more like a spoken word punk song. Okay. Um, it's a great song. You've probably you've probably heard it. I'm sure I have. Uh, it's very popular. It, it was in Iron Man. Uh, <laughs> okay. Again, uh, punk songs and yeah. This is one where I what I love about it is I love that there's an implied F word in this song, which, again, I was just like, you guys are just you guys are getting away with stuff that you shouldn't have been able to get away with. I thought I heard that. Where did I? That's re- well, yeah, it, yeah, the, the lyrics have sex without. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it because the, the chorus of the song is walk without walking, talk without talking, see without looking, thought without thinking, feel without feeling. Shoot without shooting, hurt without hurting, have sex without, and they just little baseline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. It's implied F word. I love it. I think it's. I think it's. It's. It, you know, for for a for a Christian band in 1994, yeah. that is unbelievably bold. Yeah. Listen, the cheap synthetic therapy teaches me to think, feel, and see. Wow. Well, that's the whole thing. Right? It's a criticism of television, right? The idea that the national drug is just us like passively watching everything happen on television and allows us to experience all this stuff, right? Which you can extend it to now. It's, the song's relevant now when you think about the internet, right? Because totally. we've got like everything is just like, oh, we can do it all digitally now. I mean, the the, the line, have sex without, <clears throat> yeah. is uh, is kind of like part of what's going on in places like Japan where like the birth rate is so low because – you know, women don't want to, you know, they, they refuse to sort of be pigeonholed into the traditional role of having to give up life and career in order to have children. There's no child care yeah. in Japan for, for to encourage uh, women to work. And then on top of that is a lot of men are just like, it's too much trouble to date. And so they can get their waifu online and like, well, and, like and I the, read, I read a thing about this. Like, this isn't just like me being stereotypical. Like there's no, a legitimate I, concern out there that like yeah. the digital proximity of, you know, fake relationships is like mm-hmm. a problem. It is there. Um, there's this great article that I found uh, from this sort of very small, I guess, I guess you could call it a blog called, I think it's called blood knife. <laughs> oh, was it, was it called uh, from the desk of Donald J. Trump? Oh wait, that's gone now. <laughs> I heard about that. Oopsie doopsie. Um, no, there's this uh, psycho, I think it's called blood knife. I don't know. Just, this woman wrote this really great article about, how like everyone is expected to be flawlessly beautiful, but no sex, right? So like you you go to a Marvel movie and people are just like like just the pinnacle of human evolution, but they're not 
in love with each other. Like they're not right. pursuing each other. There's no attraction. Well, there's no. And then when we did that, people got upset. Yeah. With Black Widow and Hulk. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there's people going to be like, well, we didn't like it because we just thought it was unrealistic. Like, you don't have a say in this. Like, well, in it's the a comics, story. In the comics, they're not in <laughs> relationships. That's why we don't. Yeah. Stop trying to unship people. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but, yeah. So, I mean, that that's... I, I think it's something that is exciting to our own culture, Chuck, because, you know, we've, we've talked about... You know, I, I talked about the grill pill, right? And the mm-hmm. spectacle of politics and how, like, Twitter serves as a place where, like, oh, I, I can't actually participate in politics, so I'm going to go scream online on Twitter. Um, so, like, I mean, it's kind of the same thing in a way mm-hmm. where it's, like, now we have this, like, super hyper simulator. I mean, even, even kind of to extend, like, what we do, like, you know, podcasts ultimately are, like, friend simulators in a way, you know? Like, you know, when people tell us, like, Oh, this is like, um, you know, one of our early reviews is like, this is like me and my friends talking at a pub, which we were like, oh, that's great. That's what we, that's what we want. But at the same time, I could see how someone would be like, I don't have friends to talk to at a pub, so I'm going to listen to JP and Chuck. Right, right. Like, that's the thing is, is like, it, it, you know, on one hand, like, if we can offer that sense of like comfort and stability for somebody, like, that's awesome. And I'm flattered yeah. to do that. But at the same time, like, I don't want to leave you there. Right. As a listener. Um, and I think about this with church, right? Because um, I remember a couple of years ago, there was this whole debate because the, the Methodists were um, a lot where we're experimenting with online communion. This was before the pandemic. Yeah. So like the idea that like you could sit in front of your computer and you put your bread and grape juice in front of the computer and then the priest or the minister like blesses it sort of like in the general direction of like your computer Mm -hmm. and this whole conversation whether or not that's valid and like part of it was like well you know there's so many people that are agoraphobic and they're afraid of being around people and so we want to reach them too and i'm like no 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 like yeah that's like christian like the heart of christianity and us gathering together as a people is the idea that we are one body like it's it's embodiedness it's it's fleshliness it's not a digital proxy like it needs to be in person like that's what we do and like yeah, Jesus meets us where we are, but he never leaves us where we are. And and so like, you know, but so like instead of let's create a digital proxy to make you like stay at home, let's actually work on being a more inviting place to where you feel safe and OK to be with us. Or maybe just go to their homes or that because isn't that what Catholics do? Because I, I read about that recently. Where like there are like members who are older who like maybe can't make it to church. Like sometimes yeah, priests that. priests will go like door to door or like to visit the members and like do the sacraments yeah. with them in their living room. Yeah, I did that. I've done that for most of my ministry. Like um, yeah. um, back back at Holy Training, in fact, there was one woman who because of her health she couldn't come all the time, and so every Friday I went to her place and brought her communion every single Friday. See, that's cool. Yeah. So no, you're right. The idea of like you know, you know, I'll bring it to you. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true. I'll do that. Hey, if you're in Hawaii and you're afraid of coming to church, and you listen to our podcast and you like, you want me to bring you communion. I'll bring you communion. Call St. Mary's. I'll bring yeah. you communion. Yeah. You know, if you, and if you're not baptized, guess what? I'll baptize you. Come on. Um, yeah. And you know, if you want to like talk about Marvel movies and how much they suck and you're afraid to, to I'll, I'll come to your house and talk about, I, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Um, I'm not visiting you, DC fans. But, but again, getting back to this whole thing and this issue, right? Like this is, I mean, again, 1994 is very prescient to like acknowledge that the direction of our society is, and you think about it, like getting back to capitalism, that's exactly what capitalism wants. Mm-hmm. It wants us to be a captive audience to whatever it throws at us because as long as we're watching the screens, we're seeing ads right. and we're buying stuff. And the thing is, is like, you know, like the convenience factor now, like Amazon, oh, right? Like you don't have to go into a store. I hate it. I hate not going into stores, man. I hate that when I do go into a store, I can't find the stuff. Like, oh, well, you can get it online. I don't want to get it in line. That's why I drove to your store. Yeah, I feel you. Um, I mean, just like. And, you know, film Twitter had this conversation a lot over the past year because of the pandemic and how it affected movie theaters and how studios were like all just now now that everyone has their own streaming service. And now telecom companies are buying up studios. Like Amazon just bought MGM. Uh, Apple is looking for a studio to buy, apparently. Um, And it's like it's almost as if like the conversation was like they're trying to keep us in our homes. It's sort of like a it's a meme, right? Of like people canceling plans or people being like, "Oh, going out is such a drag." Yeah, you know. Yeah, and you know, like, yeah, going out is a drag. Bars are a drag. They're expensive. You're wasting a ton of money. But like, go to, like, buy some. Go to the grocery store. Buy buy some beers and have people at your house. <laughs> go to the library for God's sakes, uh, or the park. Yeah, go to one of these beautiful public places. I will say that's one thing about Hawaii that I love is that. Because I think part of it is the fact that because the weather is always is, is so nice so much of the year that everybody has their windows open. So we sort of are always in each other's business all the time anyway. <laughs> um, you know, there is no private. Um, right. You know, my, I think I don't know if I've shared, but like one of my favorite moments so far living here was um, me and my boys were watching something on TV. And we hear a voice from the bushes go, hey, could you turn that up? One of the neighbor kids is just like <laughs> watching TV through our window. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so last on is choice. Uh, you wanted to talk about a lyric, man. Hitler had an opinion too. <laughs> what a way to open your song. Hey guys, Hitler had opinions. Uh, Manson also had opinions, and Jim Jones. Jim Jones. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Hitler had an opinion too. Manson had an opinion too. Jim Jim Jones had an opinion too. Life imprisonment or death is no reward for love. And then it keeps going more. Clinton has an agenda. Hillary has an agenda. Limbaugh has an agenda. Um, I didn't, I didn't catch they called out Limbaugh. Yeah, he's in there. Good for them. <laughs> um, wasn't he in the news recently about something? I can't remember. <laughs> I will not stop. I'll not shut up. That's the lyrics, by the way. No, that's not me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will not defend your right to be lame. Yes, I love that lyric, dude. <laughs> that is the most Gen X thing I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> That needs to like go on a T-shirt. Oh, that probably would not be very Gen X. That's more millennial. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we're uh, both though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of geriatric millennials, as they as we're called now, apparently. Um, I mean, Ho- By the way, I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt because I live in Hawaii, not because I believe in the boogaloo. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> well, if you wore that with like a like a like a just like a kitted out you know ammo Tactical. vest over it, then you know we'd probably have some words. <laughs> I mean, what what are we doing here, Chuck? I don't really know. Like, I, I just think it's cool um, because it's cool. yeah, like 
the FDA has a mo- other. Okay, so it's like Hitler and Manson, Jim Jones, they all have opinions. Uh, Clinton, Hillary, Limbaugh, they have an agenda. And then it goes down to the FDA, CIA, they have motives. And they keep repeating this sort of this this lyric: "Life imprisonment or death is no reward for love." And then Sid Vicious had a problem. Darby Crash had a problem. Gigi Allen had a problem. All like big, you know, punk rock icons. Yeah. Um. I don't know. So what are we saying? I don't really get it. <laughs> I just think it's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think it's just a reminder that, like, I, I feel like the sentiment is probably similar to uh, a song that I really love, and I think goes you know, to use a, a, a Gen Z term goes hard is, um, cult of personality by living color, mm-hmm. living color. <laughs> um, you know, you know, cult of personality. Yes. Oh dude. No, you I don't. You need, I do. I'm the cult of, I'm the cult of, I'm the cult of Maybe personality. No, I don't think I know that one. I think it's something Oh, dude. Else. Oh, something dude. Else. Dude, 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 dude. <laughs> I'm sending you a link. Um, the black, they're, a, they're like a black, they're like a black hard rock band from the 90s. And their big single was Cult of Personality. In fact, the show In Living Color takes their name from the band. Anyway. Okay. And they did the song for the show In Living Color. Anyway. So, um, I don't know what that was. Um, so... And that song, though, it's called Cult of Personality, and it um, and it, it name drops a bunch of people in terms of like we just listen to them because they're on the TV. But it includes things like Stalin, Gandhi, Kennedy, um, that they're all cults of, like that you can turn any of these people into just a cult of personality. Um, and I think that's kind of what like a similar sentiment to what this song is trying to do is just being like everybody's got their agendas, everybody's got their problems, everybody got the stuff. Like you got to remember that like. You know, where, you know, so you, you maybe have a little bit of, like, I think first, like some critical engagement of like these people. But I think also, like, when you show love for people, it does threaten people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of on the ground, too. There's a comedian I once heard, I can't remember his name now, but he, I remember him saying, like, he's a black comedian. And he said, um, he's like, I ain't, he's like, I'm preaching a, I'm preaching a message of love. He's like, think about everybody who's ever preached a lesson, you know, a message of love. Like, you know, Gandhi shot him. King shot him. Jesus. And he uses microphone to like mimic getting nailed on a cross. <laughs> um, but like, I, I think about that. It's, like a, it's a true statement, right? That like that, like people who do proclaim messages of love tend to be they tend to face violence because of it. Mm-hmm. Because when you talk about love, it means loving the wrong kind people. And. So I, I don't know. I think that there's a there. I think there's maybe a thread of that in this song too. So that that's a prime candidate for a burnout, man. Uh, I won't lie, man. They went hard. And, they uh, did. This is a. This is. I mean, like, they are. I think they are one of the one of the one of the more underrated tooth and nail acts yeah. from the '90s. Um, their follow up, Mucho Vivo, a uh, very different album. Mm-hmm. Um, it features a pretty awesome cover of Once in a Lifetime by Talking Heads, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and then they reunited like in 2003 to release uh, one of their albums. So they only had like, three albums. Huh. Um, and I think the idea of like not trying to be anything but what they are actually benefits them. I think so too. Um, 
and uh, like I said, there's, I mean, obviously we had a lot to say about this album. There's a timeless quality to the sort of punk rock they present. Um, and, uh, you know, it, and it's, it's interesting because if you, uh, to me, it's, it's interesting because if you pick up 1995's Teenage Politics by MXPX, I mentioned last episode that there's some forced Bible references mm-hmm. in their songs. So it's kind of amazing to me that within just a year tooth and nail felt the pressure to have to do that kind of thing um for their artists but again maybe blunderhead was just like we don't really we don't really want to be on the radio we just want to do our thing and maybe xpx was a little more interested in pursuing some stuff i don't know but i could see that um you know just to have an artistic pursuit and to have it reach people i don't know i i feel like we don't value that much anymore we don't and uh, billy allen himself has said that like he never really he's never really cared about making money he's like i he's like i would rather he's like i'd rather make less money working with friends and having a good time in my job than anything else you know it's funny i get that now after having to leave la and probably won't be able to go back and now that like youtube is a thing and like you know we do podcasting and stuff and and i i kind of you know i've I'll probably never be able to make like like a a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie. And if you told that to me when I was like fourteen, I'd probably ball or something. I don't know. Um, but but you know, I I could do something like you know, candidate uh, candidate for a teenage uh, prime saying. candidate for a burnout. Yeah, we're going two hours, so I'm a little I'm a little the. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I, I I get it now, and um, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot lately about like, what if I just sat down and just wrote a screenplay that could possibly be filmed just in my backyard, and to make something that's more of an artistic pursuit. You know, not a hobby, not a career, but like, no, I really need to just say something and put it on paper, and maybe like struggle to like, get it out there. I think I recall Rob Bell telling you to do this. <laughs> I. Uh, well, did, did he say that? I, I thought he just <laughs> talked about chips. I, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a reminder that we had Rob Bell on our podcast, for like episode 12. Yep. Hilarious. That was a <laughs> punk rock moment that we got Rob Bell on this podcast. I just, I, was it punk rock that I spent the entire week like wanting to like throw up? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because I was like, I'm talking to Rob Bell. What in the world am I going to say to this yeah, guy? He, like, just he like just spoke with Oprah and then like came and talked to us. It's great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you should do that. You should do that. Again, we have the we have the tools now to yeah. like make punk rock cinema. Yeah, and someone is. There's a great. Uh, I want to plug. Uh, he doesn't really need me to. He just reached a million subscribers on YouTube. Uh, his name is Joel Haver, and he's a young guy, and he just makes short films on YouTube with his friends, and they're just kind of like really funny, weird, you know, kind of Adult Swim type humor, kind of Nathan for You type stuff. I wish I wish YouTube had been more ubiquitous when we were in college. Well, you know, we had the tools to do it back then, but it was like it was harder. Like you yeah. know, you film something on your phone, then you upload it to YouTube. Back then, you had to like you had to have the computer with the right drives and like the right yeah. plugins, and you had, you, you had a mini DV camera that looked like crap, and like you didn't have audio equipment. There were there were no USB microphones. 
you know, because yeah. <laughs> um, we, we, we made lots of short films, you know? Yeah, we did. Anyway, I'm just saying like, Hey, listen, just be creative and do, do the thing that, uh, you know, makes you happy. Well, and that's the beautiful thing about punk rock, right? Like that's, I mean, that's what makes punk rock punk rock. It's like, I have an instrument. I don't know if I, I don't know how to play it. Yeah. I don't know how to make it sound <laughs> right, but you know what? Right. I'm just going to just do it anyway, which is why the shags is probably like the most punk thing ever produced. <laughs> it might be noise, but it's my noise. Yep. Um, I mean, just, you know, even, uh, even Billy Powell said that like he blew out his voice on tour all the time because this isn't really how he supposed to sing. Like he just, <laughs> I've been thinking, I mean, listening to this this past week and just in, in, in listening to stuff recently, it just got me kind of in touch with a lot of that stuff about myself too. Right. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that when I, uh, I had lunch with our creative writing professor from college, uh, David Athey, uh, about two years ago. And I remember when I walked in wearing my clerical attire, he was like, you became the man, (laughs) dude. But I think about that fact, right? And there's there's a degree of truth to it. But what kind of a messed up world do we live in where like a a Christian priest is considered the man? Right. When the people in my career early on were being like fed to lions and stuff. Hmm. You know, that's true. When, you know, like in Japan, like if they were able to nab a priest like that was like mm-hmm. wow you know um but now like it's it's a respectable career that never rocks the boat yeah some people would say it's 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 a, you know akin to working for the state you know mm-hmm. um maybe because there are power structures involved and stuff you know um but you know they, they just became the power <laughs> Right, but like my job is to tell. My, but the thing is, is like my job is to tell the people in my congregation that they are citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. Right. Right. That that should be very punk rock. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's a stateless, classless society, right? So it's yeah, it's yeah. it's anarchy. There's a reason why. <laughs> there's a reason why Dostoevsky was Christian and anarchist. Right. And why he was like sort of the great big figure of Christian anarchy. Hmm. Because. It turns out they're kind of the th- they're kind of the same thing. Yeah. All right. So Chuck, what do you think is the best song on this album? Uh, oh boy. I think I'm gonna go with Purgatory. Oh yeah. I think okay. I'm gonna go with Purgatory. That or uh, Purgatory National Drug. Those are my those are my choices. Okay. I really love Power Trip. I just like the way it sounds. I like his vocals in it a lot. The uh, I mean just and just sort of the, the themes behind it and stuff just really kind of resonated with me too. It's certainly my favorite um, because I think it's like, <laughs> like again, trying to accomplish the same. Like, it, I think it, it's sort of the same thing as like colored people, but it's like doing it in a more effective manner. Right. You know? Um, so I'm going with Power Trip. I'm going to say All it's right. the best one. But on a power I mean, Purgatory is pretty, pretty awesome too. That one goes hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, they use the word poser in it. I mean, <laughs> that's a forbidden word there. But, oh, cool. All right, so that was Blenderhead, a prime candidate for a burnout. Which really hits the mayhem part of Music Mayhem, so really good way does. to end. It is. So, Chuck, uh, did you enjoy Music Mayhem this year? I did. It was a more subdued affair this year. Yeah, it was. But I, I, I actually really like that we finally got to talk about like the Christian recording industry. Yeah. 
uh, in an in-depth way because it's been, I mean, it, it didn't impact, impact you nearly the same way that it has impacted me over the years. But like, you know, this was my life. I mean, there was a period of time in my life where I thought I wanted to start a band and do all that, you know, and, um, you know, listening to, listening to bands like Slick Shoes and MXPX and Value Pack, <laughs> uh, you know, Supertones, um, but like listening to like most of the tooth and nails output from 94 to like 90, like 94 to 96. I mean, that really, it, it helped shape, it helped me to, it helped me to get in touch with who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, you know, and so like to listen to, to be able to talk about that industry and how it impacted me, but also its foibles and its problems but that it can also produce really amazing art like like Blenderhead. Yeah. Um, I like that. I like that we got to do that. Good. And it was totally unplanned. Like, yeah. <laughs> we definitely did not. I mean, we thought we were going to have, you know, more guests. But, I don't know. It's it's hard doing that. <laughs> and Music Mayhem is already difficult for me because these, these, these episodes go long. We introduce a bit more production value. And so I, I have to apologize for the weird schedule of release. Yeah. Well, and it, it, but and then know. on top of that, we also have to dedicate ourselves to listening. We do homework. Yeah, a lot. We don't of usually homework. have to do much homework on our normal, not really topics, right? Because we're and, and it's usually pretty easy. Like this is this is very detailed, more detailed mm-hmm. than anything else we do. Um, so that's why uh, a review for Blenderhead is two hours long for a thirty-minute-long album. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we hope you enjoyed. This year's music mayhem, we surely enjoyed it, which and morphed into Zune June. I, 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 I'm proud of my yes, name. music mayhem slash Zune June. Um, so which rhymes with cocoon? Cocoon. Um, so yeah, we hope you enjoyed it, and uh, that that wraps up another music mayhem, another music mayhem in the can. Uh, That's so five now, yeah, five. My gosh. Where does the time go? That's half a decade, Chuck, that we've been doing. I know. But, uh, yeah. So, join us again next time. Uh, we're going to get back to normal. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed Music Mayhem and all these wonderful albums we've talked about. Um, let us know. If you've been listening along, let us know what your favorite album was or your favorite song or uh, what your thoughts are on the Christian recording industry. Um, or did did Blenderhead terrify you because you didn't know what you were getting yourself into? <laughs> Um, so thanks for listening and watching and Father Chuck, thank you for, uh, for being here. Yeah, dude. And we'll see you all again next time. Good journey. Good journey.